welcome back to the Almost Shameless Podcast with Tanya Ray Fox. It is episode three of the new and improved Almost Shameless. I am your host, Tanya Ray Fox. Thank you for joining me. Another week, the second week without football. We're making it through, guys. I mean, we've had a little bit of XFL action. Obviously, there are some flaws in that system. Not enough good quarterbacks. Who'd have thought? You know, not enough good quarterbacks in the NFL. Not shocking that there's not enough good quarterbacks in the XFL. So, you know, here we are. We're in, we're right in the smack dead of those doldrums I talked about last episode. However, it's actually been a pretty wild uh, week considering the time of year that it is. So today we're going to do kind of a roundup of a bunch of uh, stories. I'm not going to go too long on any specific topics. We're just going to kind of hit stuff a little more rapid fire as rapid as I can possibly go. Let's be honest, my diatribes, they're why you come here, you know? You're not coming here for news hits. This isn't the time for us to kind of fly through everything. You wanna hear a little bit of a breakdown and what's going on, and I'm gonna give it to you. Um, it's, a, you know, it's been a tough week for baseball, so we'll be hitting on that. The AP released their male and female athletes of the decade, and we'll go through those as well as the, you know, the runners up and some of the peop- other athletes that got votes. I have some thoughts about fixing these types of lists in the future. I also want to talk a little bit about uh, NBA All-Star Weekend, the dunk contest and the game and what that looked like in the wake of Kobe Bryant's death and how that sort of impacted the way these players seem to be approaching not only their seasons, but these opportunities to play with one another. I thought that for the first time in a long time, I was really interested in what was going on. And like any good, you know, dunk contest or all-star weekend, there was some controversy. So we'll talk about that as well. And of course, I'll give you the latest on what's going on with Tom Brady in his ongoing search to find a team for 2020. Uh, Drew Brees announced today that he is not retiring and will return to the Saints who have previously already said that they will take him back if he wants to play. So we know he'll be playing for the Saints. He hasn't signed any deals or anything like that. But I want to kind of go through what that might mean for Tom Brady and what the latest reporting on the situation says. Because as it as has been the standard for the last couple of weeks, maybe even the last couple of months, it seems like the story is always shifting week to week. It's almost like we're on alternating weeks where one week Brady is gone. He's going to be on the Colts and he's going to try to bury Belichick in an early grave. And then the next week it's like, Hey, I think things are looking kind of chill. No one's even really that mad. I'm always going to keep you updated on that situation on this podcast. So there will be some of that as well. And it wouldn't be an almost shameless podcast without a classic rant at the end of this. I've got a good one for you this week. So we'll be closing it out on that front. That stuff coming up. The biggest news of the week, inexplicably, is baseball. Spring training isn't even in full throttle yet, and the season hasn't even begun. And yet, here we are, talking about baseball. Not just here, not just with you guys, not just you and me, the hardcore, real sports people who care about things other than, you know, the Cowboys and the Lakers. This is across the country, people talking about baseball. People on my network at Fox Sports, 
every day talking about baseball. Maybe only one or two segments, but they're talking about it. And we kind of hit on this last week, but not a bad sign for America's old favorite pastime. Not a bad sign at all. I can't remember the last time that any of us at Fox Sports were even discussing baseball, to be honest, not even on a regular basis, just ever. You know, obviously we carry the World Series and and the broadcasts are awesome. I absolutely love our MLB coverage and the MLB commentators that we have and their, the analysts and the pre and post game that we have. However, in, in terms of our talk shows, we're, we're rarely discussing it. And let's be honest, they do everything, you know, based on ratings as any good radio or TV program should. And baseball, a lot of times the interest isn't there. Well, it is right now. And if you were to ask the actual players outside of Houston, if that's a good thing, I think they'd tell you no. All week, we've been hearing from various superstars across the league, their thoughts on the punishments handed down by the MLB and the statements made by Commissioner Rob Manfred in terms of how they are treating the Astros moving forward. People aren't happy. Manfred made a massive mistake, as most commissioners do anytime they get in front of a microphone, in his press conference this week saying he felt that there's no reason to even consider taking away the Astros World Series because in the end, what does it matter? The trophy is just a piece of metal. Yeah, those words came out of the commissioner of Major League Baseball's mouth, just completely undermining the most important trophy in his entire sport. Like, what does it matter? It's a it's a hunk of metal. Well, if the World Series doesn't matter, <laughs> then what is the point of baseball? Not great. You can understand why the players would be upset. So Justin Turner of the Dodgers has been speaking out since, since you know, over the last couple of weeks of this, and he was incredibly critical. He was probably Manfred's loudest critic in terms of his reaction to what the commissioner said. He took a shot at his understanding of the importance of winning. Let me play you a clip of what he had to say this week. That trophy, which by the way, is called the commissioner's trophy. So for him to devalue it the way he did yesterday is, is just tells me how out of touch he is with, with the players in this game. And, you know, at this point, the only thing devaluing that trophy is it says commissioner on it. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious what everyone Things should happen. I right. mean, no one, no one in this clubhouse or in this room is asking for a, a, a trophy to be handed us by any means. We want to earn it. We want to earn it the right way. We want to, you know, like I said, a fan fest. We want to be the last team standing. We want to catch the last out. We want to pop champagne and dog pile on the field, and uh, we want to have the parade in L.A. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we understand how difficult it is, you know, to win a World Series. It's hard really hard and it's something that you have to earn and obviously um, you know, as the report showed as all these guys from their club over there are coming back and apologizing and uh, you know trying to make amends for it it's pretty evident to me that it wasn't earned not pulling any punches there so uh, that was Justin Turner Mike Trout who is the best player in baseball and rarely speaks when I tell you he is the most silent stu superstar, I mean, Kawhi Leonard gives him a run for his money, and even then, we hear a lot. We hear more from Kawhi than we do from Mike Trout, probably because Kawhi actually wins stuff, and Trout's never even in the playoffs. But he spoke out against what the commissioner said and the lack of repercussions for the players on the Astros. Uh, Nick Markakis, who plays for the Braves now, longtime Orioles player. 
he came out and said today that all of those players deserve to get their asses kicked. So we know where this is going. It's going to be a weird season. And I can't imagine that there's not going to be an increased viewership, at least in the early parts of this season. I mean, Astros games are going to rate. Let's be honest. People are going to want to watch those teams play. They're going to want to watch those players get beamed from the pitcher's mound. Everyone's going to be paying attention to how the league sanctions players who try to retaliate. There's going to be a lot going on. There's a lot of politics here. Players are really, really mad. They feel like a massive injustice has been done here. And uh, I, I know that things are going to eventually cool off, but I wonder how long we can do this, right? I wonder how long these players can sustain this level of outrage before they have to just move on. Like I said a little bit last week, this is a league that's been mired in controversy and scandal since it started, since its inception. You know, I, not, I think Rob Manfred did an awful job of delivering his message. Uh, that's often the issue with these commissioners is that the, what they're saying isn't as bad as how they're saying it. But in the end, taking away a World Series trophy is, it's the ultimate opening of a can of worms, right? You're starting a domino effect at that point that you might not be able to stop because we know for a fact that this Astros cheating scandal is just the latest cheating scandal in baseball. You have decades of steroid use, players that will not be elected to the Hall of Fame based on their cheating. We know that in the 1960s, 70s, 80s, cocaine and methamphetamine and speed were all being utilized by a lot of players, superstars, Hall of Famers on the Yankees. These guys were not clean. If you don't think that cocaine or any sort of methamphetamine is going to help you focus as a pitcher or a hitter, you're crazy. There was cheating in the early 1900s that we know about, obviously. You know, the Black Sox are the, are the most obvious example, but there are so many players that could come forward at this point from the past six, seven decades to say, this isn't the first time this has happened. If you're going to take the Astros trophies, you better be prepared to, to basically strip your entire league down to its bare minimum. You don't want to go down this rabbit hole here. Frankly, I don't want to. You know, it's easy to say right now that the Dodgers probably could have won that World Series if the Astros weren't cheating, but I watched that World Series and I watched the Dodgers play at home and they weren't that good. They couldn't hit for shit in their own park. The Dodgers didn't perform well in Dodger Stadium. So... You know, I can't speak for what would have happened last season. And there is word that the Nationals were given a heads up that the Astros were cheating. So the Nationals were prepared and they were able to win the series. This would be a lot. I think this crisis would be even at higher volume if we were talking about two-time champions rather than one time. But we're not. The Nationals beat them. The Red Sox beat them the year before. Obviously, we don't know the outcome of the investigation into the Red Sox, but we have got to move on. Because what's going to happen is, eventually, if things stay the way that they are, whoever on this team ends up with a Hall of Fame resume probably won't make it into the Hall of Fame. Any players that would have made it in, maybe Verlander, these other guys, they probably won't make it in now because they were involved in this. That punishment is going to have to be enough. Go out and play baseball. This is like, this is not isolated. It's like a virus. It starts to spread. And if you think for one second that the Astros, the 2017 Astros were the first people to figure out a way to sign steel, you're wrong. We already know that's not that's not true. The players are short-sighted. They're, get, they're huffing and puffing and they're, and they're puffing out their chests and they're getting all self-righteous and I don't blame them. But somebody has got to go to them and say, listen, play baseball, take care of your own house. 
because this is not an isolated incident. The extremity of it might be isolated, but cheating in baseball is rampant and it has been for a very long time. And unless you want to dismantle the entire 140 year history of Major League Baseball, it's time to move on. Hot stuff coming up. And speaking of moving on, we are moving on to a new decade. It is 2020. The AP released their best male and female athletes of the decade, last decade, of course. So 2010 to 2019. And LeBron James was named the AP Male Athlete of the Decade. And Serena Williams was named the AP Female Athlete of the Decade. I think for the most part, people agree on LeBron. Uh, The second runner-up was Tom Brady. According to the AP article, he was a distant second. uh, Followed by Usain Bolt, Lionel Messi, and Michael Phelps. Let me start here. If the real conversation is between LeBron and Tom Brady, I think I can understand the LeBron pick for a couple of reasons. Uh, Eight straight finals. So he was basically in the finals for the entirety of the decade. Now, it's easier to be a dominant player in basketball because of the importance of single players in basketball. Going to the NBA finals is easier than getting to the Super Bowl. However, eight straight finals is pretty fucking impressive. And LeBron also has that presence, right? He has that international presence because basketball is played around the world, unlike American football. He's so forward-facing in his celebrity. He's always in the playoffs. He's always playing full seasons. He rarely gets hurt. But then in the off-season, he's doing, you know, a lot of multimedia stuff. He is involved very outwardly in his philanthropy. And not that Tom Brady's not, but it's just not to the same degree. He's not sort of as culturally relevant outside of the NFL in the same way that LeBron is in the NBA. So I think that I am okay with that designation. You know, Brady going to five of the 10 Super Bowls of the decade is pretty insane, especially considering in the previous decade, he'd been to four and people were already saying how crazy that was. 2011, 2014, 2016, 2017, 2018. I mean, that's unbelievable. You know, that's that's really, really, really hard to do. The idea that one quarterback played in five of 10 Super Bowls across a decade, three consecutive at the end there, pretty wild. It's a conversation. There's probably a debate there. I am one person. I cannot debate myself. I think the real debate is actually after that because I actually think it's crazy to put Usain Bolt at third. I guess, I mean, there's no, there was no real ranking. It's just he came third in votes over Lionel Messi, which is honestly insane. And I know that we're not huge soccer people in this country, but we're smart enough sports fans to understand how important soccer is across the world. Lionel Messi is one of the most famous people in the world for for the, that reason, because soccer is so popular and because he is the best player alive. By the time he's done, he will be in the debate for the greatest player of all time. Before Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo, it was Pele. Diego Maradona was sometimes in that equation. Messi's big thing is he hasn't won a World Cup, and that will always be a mark on his resume. But outside of that, he is easily the most successful modern soccer player. Definitely in this decade, definitely in this millennium. As dominant as Usain Bolt was, he is a sprinter. He does one thing and he does it very well. But in the world of track and field, there is a premium put on being able to do multiple things really well. 
when you think about track and field, you think about somebody who's kind of doesn't, is an all around athlete. And I'm sure Usain Bolt is good at a lot of things. I know he's good at soccer. I know that he's an excellent athlete otherwise, but in terms of his achievements, he is maybe the greatest sprinter of all time. Definitely the greatest sprinter since I've been watching sports, you know, for the last 20 or so years. But to put him over Messi in terms of athlete of the decade seems nuts to me. So were I to rearrange the voting on that, I would put it, I would have it be Brady, Messi, Phelps. And then I know, I don't know. I don't even know if I'd put Usain Bolt up there. Maybe I would. I mean, he's, I don't think he ever lost a race, right? That's like the thing is he just like never lost. There's something to be said for the utter dominance that he had over any other sprinter in the world. So maybe I put him fifth. On the women's side, Serena is just obvious. It's not even a question. And as is Simone Biles, who was the second vote getter, no question. Uh, the third vote getter was Katie Ledecky, maybe the greatest female swimmer I've ever seen. Certainly the greatest American swimmer outside of Mal- Michael Phelps. Lindsay Vaughn is one of the greatest skiers of all time. So she was fourth. She got fourth. And she hasn't been as dominant on the back half of this decade, but in the first half of the decade, she was at the top of her game. No one was better. She will always be one of the greatest skiers of all time in the world, let alone in the U.S. And then the fifth vote getter was Michaela Schifrin, who's only 23 or 24 years old. She was super young when she came up, but she doesn't have nearly the dominance that those four other athletes have. I don't love her inclusion on this. Um, it feels really, really lazy to me. It feels like they just thought about a few like Olympians that they could throw in there. And excluding one of the female soccer players in the world seems absolutely fucking insane to me. There's a few that could have been options. Martha is probably the greatest female soccer player of all time. She wasn't as dominant in this decade as she was in the late part of the first of the first decade of the 2000s. Uh, but Christine Sinclair from Canada is or she probably should have been on this list. As dominant as a lot of the American players are as a team and as a team America produces more high-end women soccer players than anybody in any country in the world. But in terms of overall body of work over the last 10 years Christine Sinclair is a top five female soccer player of all time in terms of achievement, honors, all of that. She never won a World Cup because she plays for Canada, but her name is in the history books. As of February 9th, 2020, she's had 186 goals in 293 international matches. That's the most international goals scored by any soccer player of any gender ever, male or female. No one's ever scored that many goals internationally, ever. She's also the reason that Canada has two bronze medals in soccer. Canada. Canada won the bronze medal in 2012 and in 2016. That's that's insane. <laughs> like, that's absolutely insane. She has contributed to, North, to the fact that North America is even relevant in the world's most popular sport in a massive, massive way. She was also the leading scorer in the 2012 Olympics. She was the FIFA World Player of the Year in 2010, 2012, and 2016. She'd won it four times in the previous decade. Really, really dominant player. And she should have been mentioned in the top five of those vote gets. Um, my second beef with this thing in general is that I don't understand why we're at, we're still separating male and female. And here's why. 
I'm not trying to go on a, on a um, feminist rant here because it has nothing to do with that. It more has to do with the fact that we're at the point now where had we merged these two lists, let's say we just took the top 10. Let's just take, we, we merged these, everybody together and did a top 10, okay? There are at least three or four of those women that probably could have been top 10 athletes of the decade. For sure, Serena Williams. For sure, Simone Biles. And I think probably for sure, Lindsey Vaughn. Because we're talking about worldwide impact, these players. So if three women could have cracked the top 10, why don't we just make a list of athletes of the decade? And if you want to put LeBron at the top, you can. I think Serena could have given him a run for his money. And that would have been really cool. It would have been really cool to see uh, male and female athletes pitted against each other that way. I just think it's more honest about the way we interpret sports in the world these days. We are We have come such a long way in the way we view female athletes in this country and in the world. But specifically here, even in the, you know, in our meetings this morning talking about it, it was like no brainer Serena, no brainer Simone Biles. We forgot that it was like a male thing. Floyd Mayweather came out and said that he was absolutely the most dominant athlete of the decade and he was so offended that LeBron, that LeBron James got it instead of him when he's clearly not even in the conversation. So what we did was we were kind of talking about who would it be? And everybody was saying Serena and Simone and you take a look at these players and it's like they would 100% have been on there. When we do these really big lists of over long periods of time where we're looking at bodies of work, you're already comparing apples to oranges a lot of times. You know, there's no way to compare LeBron James and Tom Brady to Usain Bolts. Even Michael Phelps, they are really only ever featured on the national stage every couple of years. And they do all their work at the Olympics and at world championships. It's a totally different ballgame. But they still somehow find, nobody finds any issue with comparing them for the purposes of a decades-long examination. So we don't have, and we don't have that issue comparing the resumes of LeBron and Usain Bolt and Tom Brady to Simone and Serena and Katie Ledecky and Lindsey Vaughn. It's all the same. It's the same idea. So I think it'd be cool to start doing that. I think there would be an argument for Serena over LeBron. I don't know. I think it would be cool to have that debate and maybe, maybe I'll have someone on and have that debate at some point. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you guys completely disagree or maybe you totally agree and there is no debate. I have no idea because I'm talking to myself. That stuff coming up. One thing I do have a really good idea about is how awesome NBA All-Star Weekend was. The revamped format of the NBA All-Star Game included both teams vying to get to a certain point total rather than playing in specific quarter lengths and things like that. So what happened was it actually got really competitive and players took it seriously. And I don't know it was as much of because of the format as it was just a general overall feeling of gratitude to be there. There were a lot of dedications prior to the game and the weekend for Kobe Bryant. And I think that his legacy and his um, work ethic really hung heavy in the air all weekend. I think you could feel everybody really trying to honor one of the greatest competitors that they'd ever played with that we've ever seen in NBA history. And I, it was it really changed the tenor of the entire weekend. It was still so fun and cool and everybody was having this amazing time. But there was also a level of taking it seriously that you don't often see at these all-star games. It was interesting to see how they were able to make this so thrilling and how 
the players taking it seriously and really playing hard changed everything about the way we talked about it. We rarely ever talk about the All-Star game at length after it happens. Who cares? It never fucking matters. The MVP of the All-Star game was renamed after Kobe Bryant and Kawhi Leonard won that award fittingly. Local LA kid, grew up idolizing Kobe, was obviously had a good relationship with Kobe. They were close. It was it was very meaningful. And this was all on the heels of a really wild, controversial dunk contest. I'm not a huge, like, I like the old dunk contest. I like the I like to watch them on YouTube. I think that the Dominique Wilkins and MJ ones back in the day were really incredible to watch. Uh, but they for, for years, I didn't really watch. You know, I, I remember the Vince Carter ones back in the day. But I remember Aaron Gordon coming in, I think it was 2016, and doing that that over the mascot. And it was just like, Really incredible. One of the best dunks I've ever seen. Well, he makes his big comeback this year, four years later, and he does two two to three of the most incredible dunks I've ever seen. He is by far the best dunker alive right now. One of the greatest of all time. He got robbed of the dunk contest title, maybe by Dwayne Wade, and it was a whole thing. He vows he's never going to do it again, which only makes it more exciting because you're like, if he ever does do it again, are we going to try to... Is there a way we can get him to do it if we get like a bunch of other superstars to participate in the future? I don't know. But it kind of adds to the stakes of that, of that entire contest. Overall, it was a really fun weekend and it reminded me of why basketball can be really fun. I haven't had a lot of fun watching basketball in recent years. Not just because I'm a Celtics fan, but because I just, there has been a lack of, urgency by the other superstars in the league outside of LeBron James, even Kawhi Leonard. Outside of these guys, there's just felt like a lack of urgency to be great, to be transcendent in the playoffs and in the finals. And things were obviously starting to get a little stale with the Warriors dynasty constantly dominating. We don't have that this year, so there's some fresh blood, there's some new people in the mix. People are able to kind of rise to the occasion with Kevin Durant and Steph Curry out on injury. And not that I don't love watching them play and I can't wait for them to be back, but it does always allow some new people to come and sh- come in and shine. Uh, it also, you know, it kind of shines a light on on really how impressive LeBron has been. And, uh, Giannis, you know, this is his year. He better make it to the finals this year. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. But Overall, I was really impressed with the way that the players carried themselves all weekend and how much they committed to uh, the fans and having the teams play for kids' charities and the way that that like, really brought them the humanity back into the weekend. It just all really came together, and I loved it. That stuff coming up. Tom Brady and the Patriots, the latest. So my former colleague, Mike Giardi, who is now with the NFL Network, he reported that Bill Belichick and the Patriots uh, operations people, so their front office, I suppose, uh, would like to know Brady's intentions before the official start of free agency. So last week, it seemed like it was a foregone conclusion that Brady was going to get to free agency and test the waters and the Patriots were going to just have to like deal with it. Now it seems like that's not actually the case. They are aware of the fact that Brady dragging it out screws them. And Brady, of course, is aware of that as well. You know, it's common sense. 
Tom Curran also in his most recent piece updating the whole entire situation, which I encourage you to read. It's very uh, enlightening. He clarified that there's really no bad blood right now between the two sides. They're both very aware that the business, the real business isn't going to happen until March, especially with the Patriots. So it's more about just like a, maybe an unwritten understanding between, between the two sides that something needs to be kind of at least agreed upon, or there has to be some sort of uh, understanding of what each side really wants by the time March rolls around and free agency really picks up. Because the, the impression that I'm getting is that the Patriots would like to know what Tom Brady's preference is. Does he want to stay in New England? And if so, under what circumstances? And what is he asking for? It seems more and more likely as the rest of the league kind of comes into focus and the teams that he could even possibly go to come into focus that the best chance for Brady to get what he wants is in New England. It's always felt like that, but it still continues to feel more and more like that. Derrick Henry was on a podcast with Taylor Luan earlier, his Titans teammate. I think it was on Monday. And he basically said, yeah, Tom Brady's great, but why wouldn't we want to keep Ryan Tannehill? That's our guy. He got us to the AFC Championship game. He's our teammate. He's our leader. I don't know. Obviously, Derrick Henry doesn't speak for the Titans organization, but if that's the feeling in the locker room, I would be really surprised, uh, especially after having to go from Marcus Mariota to Ryan Tannehill and then to make another move for a guy who's going to be 43 at the beginning of the season doesn't make a ton of sense. So I thought that that was interesting. Plus, uh, like I said earlier in the podcast, Drew Brees announced that he will be back with the Saints this year. Teddy Bridgewater will leave. So, you know, he's decided he's going to give it one last go with the Saints. They've had a couple of really good seasons the last couple of years that have ended in heartbreak. He wants to give it one more try. And I just can't help but think that that idea of Brees being back, making one last run with his team, the Saints, with his people, with his organization with the players that he's helped bring up, wouldn't make Brady nostalgic, you know, to do the same. I know that he definitely has his moments. He was getting all feisty on Instagram talking about how, you know, he's going to prove everybody wrong and try to doubt him and blah, blah, blah. He does this every year. And I love it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be dismissive of it, but he definitely is always looking to be fired up. And I think that there are times when that desire, that search for the next chip on his shoulder uh, it, it kind of flares up and then he cools down a little bit and he realizes that there's a time and a place to feel that way. There's a time and a place to feel slighted and to take that and use it. And maybe it's not always when you're trying to figure out where you want to play football at the age of 43 years old. Uh, so anyway, you know, that's the quickest update I can give you. It Again, we're trending back toward maybe a little bit of a more obvious stay with the Patriot situation. But that, again, that could change. That's just how things are feeling right now in this week based on the most recent reporting over the last couple of days. Shall we? All right. My rant this week is reality TV based. So I hope you guys watch reality TV or at least have experienced it in some way or another because Survivor debuted last week, the new season. It is a season made up entirely of people who have won Survivor in the past. So there have been 30, no, 38 winners in across the previous 39 seasons because one person won twice. So they took 20 of those winners and they comprised the full cast of Survivor this season. And it is fucking awesome. And the youngest cast member, because it's obviously comprised of people who've won this over the last 20 years, 
The youngest cast member is 29 years old. A majority of these people are in their 30s, 40s, and then early 50s. So it's been really interesting to watch, outside of the fact that it's incredible to watch people who are very good at a social game play that game. It's also been so refreshing as somebody who watches a fairly good amount of reality TV to see people who aren't in their late teens, early 20s, mid 20s on my television screen experiencing life. You know, Survivor is known as as sort of a microcosm of regular society, right? You're, you're playing to survive. You have to do certain missions. You have to be sneaky. You have to create relationships. You have to create alliances. You have to be liked, but you also have to be ambitious. You have to play a, a real balance. You have to read the room a lot. It's a real um, study in human psychology in a lot of ways and in human ambition. And so to see a season full of really fully formed adults, people who've been through things, who like whether they've started a family or started businesses or risen through the ranks in their careers or whatever it might've been are really just top to bottom, fully formed adults. It makes such a difference. And I don't understand why TV doesn't do this more often where they, they cast people who have lived in the world. They're so much more interesting. You know, we get so much of the like really filtered young, beautiful people on Instagram and on social media that if we have a desire to see that, if we have a desire to live vicariously through those types of people, there are so many ways to do it online and Instagram and Snapchat and all these places that these TV shows seizing the opportunity to put more complex people on television is it's so smart it's so much more interesting like have you ever met a 40 year old woman versus a 20 year old if they're just more interesting people they have more to say they have more to draw on they ha- are bringing a lot more to the table you know those are those conversations are so much more interesting they have more to lose in terms of like you know when you're in your 40s or 50s your 60s you understand the stakes. You understand life's stakes on such a deeper level. And that makes the game of reality TV so much more interesting. You know, it, everybody's just as conniving and smart, but it's in, they're just more effective at it. And I just find it really fascinating. To any TV executive that might be listening, my pitch, cast more people in their 30s and 40s. People's worth is not derived from their attractiveness or their weight or anything else like that. But I'm not stupid enough to think that TV executives are just going to all of a sudden abandon all of the principles that they've employed over the last hundred years of movies and things on screens, right? It's fine. If you're going to still have those standards for people on television, I'm not going to change. But there are beautiful, attractive, successful, complex, interesting, weird, funky, quirky adults who aren't 24 who really honestly would make such interesting people on television. Like everybody thinks you get into your 30s and your 40s and settle down with kids and what does it matter? And you know, you're not as reckless and you're not as, you're not willing to do crazy things that people want to watch people do on TV. But then I turn on America's Got Talent and I got to tell you, that's not fucking true. Those people are insane. There are people of all ages, all shapes and sizes, all kinds of human beings from across the world doing crazy shit. Like we can find 
cool people who've like battled through life and found different ways to achieve their goals and all these things and who are still just as ambitious, if not more now than they were when they were younger. Put more of these people on television. It's so cool to watch people on a reality show and think like, rather than be like, oh, I remember when I was like that when I was like young and in college. Or I remember like when I just, you know, I was like that when I was in my first job out of, out of school. Rather than thinking that, thinking like, oh yeah, fuck yeah, I just, I'm dealing with that stuff right now. Or I can't believe this person is walking on a balance beam that's on fire 45 feet in the air and doing triple flips. And they're 10 years older than I am. It's so cool to see people achieving stuff or trying things or interacting in new ways and think, you know, that's something I could, I could try to look forward to. You know, I don't have to feel in my early 30s that I've experienced everything there is to experience in the world because everyone I see on TV is like fresh out of college. I don't know if you guys watch Survivor or any of these shows at all, but it's just pretty cool. There's some, there's some avenues in which to see real people doing incredible things or interesting, fun, personal things on TV that aren't just a reflection of like magazines and Instagram, you know, that are a reflection of the real world we see. Maybe not, you know, not the exact real world, but just a closer version of it. So more cool people who are over the age of 30 on reality TV. I will write it. I will help produce it. Get at me. I have so many ideas. I live in LA. I should really be pitching these things more often to people. I should be, I should be writing these ideas down. And I shouldn't, I guess I shouldn't be putting them out on a podcast for everybody else to hear about. But if you are interested in developing this show with me, hit me up. All right, that's it for me in week three of the Almost Shameless podcast. Hit me up if you have any uh, thoughts on athletes. I left out of the athlete of the decade conversation. I am sure that I did. Let me know if you think I was wrong. I'm sure plenty of you have your own opinions and thoughts and lists. And I, you know, I've proven, I love to hear what you guys think. I love to debate. I will always, if you come into a debate in good faith with me, even if it gets heated, I will always stick it out with you and we will always end on good terms as long as there's mutual respect. So bring your hot takes to me. And in the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at Tiny Ray Fox. That's where I'll be having my daily sports takes. You can find me on Instagram at Tanya Ray Fox underscore. That is where you can find me, I don't know, showing off my hair extensions, you know, taking cool selfies. I also put sports stuff on there as well. Follow at ShamelessTRF on both Twitter and Instagram. And listen, I don't always do this, but don't forget to rate and subscribe. If you're subscribed, thank you. If you're not, please do. I'm going to be here every Wednesday. Let's do this together. And if you haven't rated me yet, go ahead. Give me five stars if you feel like I deserve it. If you don't feel like I deserve it, just don't rate me because it'll bring it down. And I, I feel like I don't deserve that. I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And I will talk to you next week. Bye.